Readers, writers, listeners, welcome. This is the Page Turners Podcast, and I'm your host, Miranda, an avid reader, a novice writer, and a longtime listener of podcasts. I decided it was finally my time. I was going to bite the bullet and dive into creating my own podcast. So here we go. This is Page Turners Podcast, episode four. So I think I've mentioned on here before that my sort of day job, if you will, even though I work from 2 p.m. to 10 p.m., is I'm a journalist. I'm an evening news anchor. Uh, But before that, I was a morning news anchor. So I got up bright and early and I got to have really cool conversations and interviews um, with people bright and early. (laughs) And a lot of times we would have authors come on, local authors talking about their projects and what they're publishing. Um, So I got to meet a lot of really cool people. And then through that was able to connect with them when I decided to start this project. But one of the authors that I was able to speak with and have on the podcast, I didn't just meet through the show, I met through work. He was one of my coworkers. So born in Minnesota, spending most of his life in and around Rapid City, South Dakota, and now calling the Pacific Northwest home, this author specializes in transgressive fiction, bringing horror of all kinds to the page and to life in the imaginations of his readers. A Splatterpunk Award nominee and Sixie Award-winning author, today's guest is Nicholas P. Robinson. I'm Nicholas Robinson. I uh, currently live in Woodland, Washington, over uh, in the Pacific Northwest. I work in Portland, which is about 40 minutes away from me. Um, Well, Portland itself isn't, but where I work is about 40 minutes away from me. For sure. Uh, Spent most of my life in the Black Hills. originally from the Twin Cities. But uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's my geographical information, I suppose. (laughs) So I, I don't even know when in kind of our work friendship journey that I discovered that you were an author. But um, that I mean, that's a huge part of who you are. So give us a little bit more. We know where you live. We want to know more. Uh, I've been writing pretty much since I was a kid. I have, I actually ended up finding them, uh, at one point, but I, I have these stupid little, like, like, I don't know, flip books that I made when I was in detention, when I was in like third or fourth grade. Cool. Uh, but, uh, I don't know. I, uh, started taking it more seriously, uh, as I got older, um, put out a novel in 2011, uh, and then had a bit of a hiatus there, just kind of gave up for a while. Uh, and then ended up uh, with two short stories originally accepted for the um, Black Hills Writers Group's anthology back in 2015. Uh, ultimately, only one of them ended up in because the other one didn't quite fit the I don't know, overall flow and theme of the anthology as well as the other one did. Uh, and then I kind of went on hiatus again uh, until realistically, um, the first year of the pandemic in 2020, uh, I ended up taking advantage of the fact that, uh, there's a, a convention that's annual, annually held down in uh, Austin, Texas, but it was going virtual that year. Mm. Uh, so I attended KillerCon 2020, um, and got to meet and interact with some of the people that I knew in the industry, but didn't know. Um, like actually get to meet, like I would yeah, say physically, like actually, but it was, you know, 
via the internet so yeah it was but it was more than just like seeing them on facebook and right and so on and so forth um some of them were people i'd read before some of them were publishers that i'd encountered uh and then a lot of people were brand new faces for me um and so i kind of went from there to uh to finishing up a novel that i had in progress and put that out in uh not know about a week or two after uh killer con 2020 oh, wow. Um, and then it was connections that I made during that virtual convention that led to a publisher called Madness Art Press uh, releasing my novella in uh, March, May of 2021. Um, so that was uh, You Will Be Consumed, and that came out May of 2021. Uh, and then around that same time, this guy from uh, L.A., uh, Drew Stepik, he decided he wanted to make a place that was host for literature that Amazon would frequently cancel um, <laughs> due to and certain once content. Once you get done, I was going to say, once you get done talking about this, you're going to have to tell everybody yeah. your, your style of writing. <laughs> so Amazon has a propensity to to remove and deplatform certain certain material mm. uh, just due to content and. Uh, and if they don't deplatform it, they'll they'll relocate it under certain genres that don't get uh, like just don't show up in search algorithms and things like that. So it it it's even if they aren't deplatforming it, they're basically doing the same thing. Makes it uh, tougher so Drew for you decided, to get your your stuff out there. Oh yeah, and especially with Amazon making up the bulk of uh, the bulk of the literary industry as far as sales go. Mm. Um, so Drew had the idea to create something that uh, that was a digital platform for more transgressive fiction that that may not be palatable to the Amazon algorithm. Um, and so I started putting uh, some stories together on there. And then in August of 2021, right before KillerCon, I ended up uh, putting together my most recent short story collection uh, which was may cause unexplained ocular bleeding. Uh, that ended up getting me a nomination for the Splatterpunk Awards, which is held at KillerCon for this year's uh, KillerCon down in Austin, and I was down there for that. Uh, so I actually got to meet all these people in person for the first time after two years of virtual conventions. Um, so cool. And then Drew decided to do his own little award thing based on uh, like reader input from the... Uh, from what sold on his godless platform and I ended up winning the award for anthology on that hey um, I don't think I knew that congratulations so yeah it won that award it didn't win the splatterpunk award but that's okay it hey, was a, maybe in it the was future a to be nominated yeah sure and then, um, uh, I have another novel coming out next next month so hey man look at that a couple months away and I learned all these new things that's amazing uh you have I mean for some people, what me, might be like a more unique genre that you write, uh, tell us a little bit about what it is that is kind of your go-to. Uh, it's overall transgressive fiction, but a lot of it falls into what's described, like defined as the extreme horror or splatterpunk genre. Um, extreme horror is very graphic, very unflinching uh, as far as depictions of things that would normally merit a trigger warning. Uh, 
Splatterpunk has a lot of that too, but sometimes it's a little bit more over the top, a little bit less realistic, um, and frequently has more of a kind of a punk aesthetic to it as far as like social commentary, things along those lines. Okay. Um, and then some of my stuff kind of crosses into the uh, cosmic horror bizarro area where things become blurrier, uh, where the the boundaries of what what's real and what isn't real kind of become a little bit more ambiguous so yeah and i i really wanted to get you on the podcast of course i know you um but i thought that your like the genre that you write would actually maybe lend to some interesting takes on how you think we can you know increase like a passion for reading and increase literacy rates um because i think it might be different than maybe people who write I don't want to say the standard for what people read, but maybe a little bit more in the vein of what most people read. I think I think what you write is a little bit outside of that, and I think that's really cool. I think you can offer a really great perspective. Um, so I'm really excited to see what you have to add to that conversation. But before we even get to it, I know that you are a fantastic writer. But are you much of a reader? Like, do you also kind of put your stuff down and, and pick up other books? Are you an avid reader? Oh, absolutely. Um, I want to say, uh, God, it's Stephen, yeah, Stephen King, I think it was, it was the one who said at one point that to be a great writer, you first have to be a great reader. Um, so, I mean, I, I read voraciously. Uh, not as much lately, but I also haven't been writing as much lately. It's just been a matter of timing and sure. things along those lines, so. But normally I, I read quite a bit. I, and I mean, when we worked together, I think you always had a book with you. And so, oh, yeah. I mean, and, and I think that's really cool having something, no matter where you are, to, if you get the opportunity to read. I want to know what your favorite book is, or maybe what that one book was that kind of like, I know that yeah. I said that telling us about yourself is like the hardest question. No, this is the hardest question. That's why I ease you into it a little bit. As a kid? it was the Hardy Boys books. Um, and, you know, the authorship on those is is debatable because it's been ghostwritten by a bunch of different people over the years. Um, but those those books I absolutely loved when I was younger. I used to love going to the book fairs. Um, but yeah, the Hardy Boys books when I was a kid from book fairs, things along those lines, that, that was probably what really ignited my love for reading uh, before I was moving on to more adult uh, literary work. Um, but I mean, I started reading in sixth grade. Um, we had this, the book it program where you could get the the free personal pan pizzas for completing books and things oh, like nice. that in school. Cool. Uh, but my teacher did even more than that. They had this like model of the solar system on the ceiling. And as you read like certain number of books or and whatnot, you would move further out into the solar system with your That's little really personal cool. rocket ship. But uh, I ended up reading Stephen King's Unabridged The Stand during sixth grade. Wow. Um, and that basically just pushed me out beyond everything else on there. Um, so, I mean, that was probably my first major, well, it was probably, if it wasn't my first major foray into to horror literature, it was pretty close. I mean, I read some various Dean Koontz books, things like that, that my mom had. Um, and then some of the classics like Dracula and, you know, Frankenstein by Mary Shelley. Uh, so things like that. Yeah. But, cool. but that was probably where I started. And then it was 
God, was it seventh or eighth grade? I started reading H.P. Lovecraft, and that kind of really pushed everything even further and kind of kept things going. I don't know that I've ever asked you this, but I mean, you said that you've kind of been writing since you were a kid, but what really kind of pushed you to want to become like a published author, especially because that just happened for you 10 years ago. What, what was like that push for you to really say, hey, I'm going to do this? I'm honestly not sure. Um, I think it was mostly that I because I had started and stopped and started and stopped, I don't know how many times with multiple different things I'd started writing, mm-hmm. um, always with the intention of completing something that could be publishable or could be shopped around to agents and things like that. And I still have a ton of that stuff just kind of sitting in the trunk, not going anywhere. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I don't know precisely what it was that kind of changed my perspective on it, but I don't know some point there I just decided that I wanted to do more and see if uh see if other people if it could resonate with others and it has I mean you've done you've done pretty good and like I said I didn't know about your most recent award but that's fantastic um and I'm excited to see what's coming out in a month I mean you've always got such interesting um books I I convinced you to do an interview last Halloween um (laughs) yes I mean the stuff that you write may not be everybody's taste, but you're very good at it. And you do paint, although it may be a gruesome picture, you, you paint a really great picture. Like you are very good with words. So um, yeah, that's really cool to hear, even if there wasn't like this defining moment to push you over the edge to become an author. It just kind of seems that that was kind of a path your whole life, which is really cool. I like to think so. <laughs> So I, I alluded to it earlier, and, and this is just kind of the way that um, these discussions go. You know, I want to get to know a little bit about you and, and kind of your love for reading and writing, but a passion of mine is creating a passion for reading for other people because I, I love reading so deeply. Um, and I know that you do too. You have a daughter, you have children, you, you know, you had to see people grow up. How do we instill that passion in other people in in the younger generations but also sustain that as we get older how do you think we do that well i mean i the first book i bought any of my children was uh gory's ghastly crumb tinies for my uh my daughter cecily um she was she wasn't old enough to read at the time when i got it for her because she was maybe four years old i think mm. um at that point but, uh, you know, A is for Alice, who fell down the stairs. B is for Basil, devoured by bears. And it's very... Uh, <laughs> very you. It, it's, yeah, it, it, was, it seemed appropriate for a gift from me. Um, but I always, when my children took an interest in reading, I made sure to take an interest in what they were reading. Oh, cool. Um, I know you're a fan of the Twilight books. I am not. <laughs> um, but I have read them because oh, really? I didn't know my, that. Daughter started re- my daughter started reading them when she was a kid um I mean teenager of course but yeah uh so as though as she was reading those I also read those books um really awesome. just because I figured I it gave us something to connect on something to talk about my perspective on them was a little bit different from hers but <clears throat> but I still took an interest in what what my children were reading yeah you um, can make those connections together that's really cool yeah. I think uh, I think as a parent, that's that's one important thing. I mean, kind of nurturing that, trying to 
trying to find things that they might enjoy or recommending books to them based on other things that they like. Uh, if your kid likes certain types of video games, try and find books that might kind of bridge that gap between what they're already interested in, what they might be missing out on. Mm -hmm. um, same with movies, TV shows, things along those lines. That's a great idea. You, I mean, you have two of your three children are are grown adults. I mean, your youngest daughter, she's oh, about to. I have three, three full adult children and one who's, and Lily, who's almost going to be an adult. Oh my she gosh. turns 18. Yes. She turns 18 on the 26th. Oh, wow. So well, yeah. Happy, I would say happy early birthday, but by the time people listen to this, happy late birthday to Lily. <laughs> Yeah, um, she turns uh, 18 right after Thanksgiving, so oh, at, at that point, I'll have, I'll have four adult children there. Well, happy birthday to her. Um, but watching four, four children grow into adults, do they still have that, that passion for reading? Are they still big readers? Um, you know, it's hit or miss. Um, I know Lily still reads quite a bit. Um, uh, Cecily, I, as when she has time, I think, reads more. Yeah. Um, my son's not so much. Um, I guess it's just, you know, the way it works. Uh, right. Some and people I mean, aren't when really you get older big readers. Too, some people are. Yeah. I just was curious. I was curious if, if you know, they could continue to be readers. And, and I get it. I mean, I love to read, but I don't know that I have made the time even for myself to pick up a book and read it, you know, front to back in a long time, which, which honestly makes me a little sad. But you kind of get to this point where you're like, oh man, I haven't read a book in a while. Um, so I, I totally get that. Um, but with that passion for reading, you know, literacy rates in this country are what I see as concerningly low. Um, you know, oh, yeah. part of fourth graders will never reach the proficient reading level. And I, I bring that statistic up a lot, but I just, I find it very shocking and I'm curious to know what you think we can do to increase literacy rates so that we can get past these numbers. We can make sure that more than half of adults only reach the eighth grade reading level, which is, is fine. I mean, eighth grade reading level, there's nothing wrong with. But um, I just think if we can push past that, there's just so much that people can gain. Yeah, I think, uh, I think one of the more important things we need to do is stop making reading a chore for kids. Mm. Uh, I mean, I, I, I fully agree that the classics are important, uh, that there are things to learn from that, but I don't necessarily think that they're more valuable as, a, as far as, I don't know, literary quality goes than some of the popular literature that's out there um, or the more modern and culturally relevant stuff for yeah. today. Um, so I think there's a, a happy medium to be found between finding things that that might actually ignite some kind of spark or engage some kind of passion in people and making sure that they're that they still understand like the past, because I mean, that's ultimately what classic literature gives us is kind of a glimpse into the past, the culture at the time. Um, and I mean, even going so far as to try and frame other educational elements as narrative, because mm -hmm. uh, people tend to remember things better if it's framed in a narrative format, um, if there's a story to it. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just kind of a kind of a residual leftover from when we used to be like sitting by fires and telling each other the history of our people. Yeah, when everything um, was passed on by word of mouth. Yeah. 
So, I mean, if you can frame other elements as narrative, it makes it easier for people to kind of associate that and embed it in their memory. There are different ways that it can be done. I mean, I, I, I remember elements from some of the hard science fiction that I read. Um, hard science fiction, of course, being the stuff that's written more by scientists who are also into writing fiction and speculating mm -hmm. on where we could be, kind of extrapolating on current current standards and imagining what might come. Um, so there's a lot of actual hard science in some of that. And I remember elements of that better than I remember stuff that I took in physics courses. Um, just because I remember the narrative that led to it, the the story that surrounded those pieces of actual information in science. Um, so, I mean, there's there's ways to kind of combine all of it together. I just, I can't be, I can't <laughs> even begin to figure out how to go about all of that. I but, mean, I think the first piece though is just coming up with ideas because I, I would have never yeah. thought about that, but I think it's a really great point that, you know, we do like narrative. We like stories, you know, and especially as kids, we love when our parents tell us a story, when they read us a story. Um, and so I think that's a really valid point that I, I personally had never thought of. So I don't know how we take it a step further either, but, but at least it's an idea. It's, it's a place to start. So I, th I think that's a really great idea for sure. Yeah. And then, I mean, look at, look at how readings just blew up when, uh, when the Harry Potter books came out mm -hmm. and it wasn't specifically kids. It was a lot of it was adult readers, people who may not have picked up a book since they were told they had to in college or in high school, um, or who may have even like just used crib notes in, in high school and, and cliff notes and whatnot, and, and hadn't actually read a book since they were a kid. Um, so so it can be done you can ignite that spark and that love of reading you just have to give them something that they care about something that's engaging to them as readers and it's not going to be the same thing from one person to the next amen to that. Um, so i think our educational system is where part of it needs to come from um, but of course some of it needs to come from the family too we need to pay attention to what our kids want to read mm -hmm. um, i mean i I'm the first to, to say that comic books are a legitimate form of, of literary entertainment. They're also a form of artwork. Yeah. Uh, and that's becoming more and more well accepted, I guess, over time. But for the longest time, it was treated like it was trash. Mm -hmm. uh, genre fiction was the same way, whether it was fantasy or science fiction or horror. And those are my favorite uh, things to read. <laughs> yeah. And the genre fiction got treated like it was somehow less than or subpar. Um, and yet you'd still have classics within those genres like 20,000 Leagues and Frankenstein and Dracula and Jekyll and Hyde. So you have all of these things that are technically genre fiction, but are treated as classics. But then anything modern within those like subgenres of the of literary category were treated like they were disposable crap. Which is such an um, odd like comparison. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I, I think that we need to stop focusing exclusively on the classics at the expense of engaging the readers because the language that's used in some of those classics and things like that just aren't things that, that really resonate with people. And it can be hard. Uh, I mean, as, yeah. as fantastic as Dracula and Frankenstein are, I mean, 
even for me, I, I am, I love to read and I still, you know, I would sit down and look at Moby Dick, anything like that, that I'm like, wow, my brain has to work extra hard. Even if I'm enjoying the content, it like, it, it's difficult. And so if you could maybe find something within that same genre that maybe is more modern or a little bit easier to understand or connect to who you are in that time frame, especially for somebody younger, I would probably make it easier to then want to pick up a book that's more difficult, like later on down the road. Yeah, yeah work people, like build people up to things like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, you don't just sit a kid down and hand them War and Peace and expect <laughs> them to read that and, yeah. and have a lot of reading because that's a chore at best. Mm-hmm. Um, so. <laughs> Not a book that, I mean, for somebody out there and for whoever listens to this, if War and Peace is your favorite book, please let us know because I, I would love that. I mean, I'm sure it's somebody's, but for oh, yeah. me personally, I don't think if my mom had handed me that book and said, hey, read this, this is going to be the thing that makes you love reading, I'm, I might have given her a weird look. <laughs> Not really my <laughs> cup of tea, but probably somebody's. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I... I think this has been fantastic. Again, you brought up um, some points that I I would have never thought about, Um, but I'm going to pull out my reporter tactics, if you will. Is there anything else you want to add? Anything else that you would like to share from this discussion that you think we haven't hit on already? That's a, that's a tough question too. I, I genuinely don't know because I don't know what direction the, the discussion should go or should have gone. Right. I mean, Um, I I I feel really good about it. Like I have, um, if everybody could see, I have these list of kind of basic questions um, just to like keep the discussion rolling with everybody that I talk to. But it's been really cool to see how that kind of morphs and changes with everybody. Like we still get through those basic topics. Um, But I don't know that I've had a conversation yet that has been really similar. I think everybody has had new great ideas. And so I always just kind of throw that out at the end of like, maybe you were inspired and you're like, oh, I thought about this or, or whatever. So if there's nothing else to add, I feel great about it. <laughs> no, I, I can't really think of anything offhand. Um, I think uh, ultimately the, I don't know, the, the thing is find things that, that you like and try and see if you can't find literature that that kind of corresponds to that like with some of the stuff i write if you like movies like hostile or the saw franchise things along those lines it's probably going to be an easy leap to to read some of the stuff that i write some of my colleagues write yeah um and so it's it i don't know that's it's the same premise uh, behind like trying to find stuff that your kids enjoy and finding books that they might enjoy so yeah. I mean, the same thing goes for adults. I mean, you may think you don't like reading and you may not. Some people genuinely just don't like reading and some of it could have to do with like the the way their internal monologue works. Uh, mm-hmm. Some people can't visualize the things that they're reading. Um, and then some people just struggle with, with the act of reading itself, yeah. uh, whether it's visual impairment or things or anything else. I mean there are a lot of reasons why people don't like reading or can't read, um, but there's no excuse anymore. There's audiobooks and things like that. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And I've had some great conversations actually with a few people who, you know, either some early in life obstacles, trauma, 
kind of set them back. So they, they're teaching themselves to read at 32, 34 years old at a conversation with a friend of mine who, um, had eyesight issues and it was really hard for her to read. I'm hoping to have a conversation with somebody who had a form of dyslexia. So I, th I think it, I agree with you that there are some people that just don't like reading, but there is a piece of me that thinks there's still a book out there that I think will be for them. There's so much oh, to read and there's so much that's been written that I just can't fathom a world where somebody just hates reading you know I just think and it's hard it's hard to find that book but I think everybody can find it I really do and I and I really wanted you on the podcast because I think your books will be that book for somebody because it is a different genre and maybe a genre that people haven't even thought about you know I love horror movies and reading horror outside of like Stephen King wasn't really something I'd thought of um but I think that could be the spark for somebody for sure yeah Thank you so much for joining us for the Page Turners podcast. Make sure that you keep an eye out for the next episode. And until then, make sure to check us out on social media at Miss underscore Missouri River to keep up with all things literacy and falling in love with reading. Catch you next time.